and we're back. Uh, good afternoon, good morning, good evening. Hello, everyone. Uh, we have an interesting one today. Um, we have Chill from Florence Finance. Uh, Real world assets, a big narrative that we will see come to light into 2024, particularly. I'm very, very, very enthusiastic about real world assets and, and where they're taking us. Uh, there's a lot of momentum with a number of players in the market at the moment. Welcome, sir. It's good to have you. How Thank you, you very much for having me. Really appreciate uh, you taking the time to talk to us. It's fantastic. No, it's a pleasure. It's, it's, it's an absolute pleasure. I think you guys are doing something quite extraordinary. I'm going to let you tell us what it is that you guys are doing primarily and then tell us a little bit about yourself. Great. Let's get into it. So um, my name's Giel. Uh, I run a project called Florence uh, Finance. We started building this uh, at the height of the last uh, bull market. Um, it was driven primarily by a bunch of you know, people who were early to crypto, who had made a fair bit of money in crypto and wanted to leave that money in crypto. Uh, but you know, obviously with uh, the bear market looming, uh, we needed a safe haven uh, asset, preferably yield bearing, uh, and at the time, you know, USDT was the only thing that kind of fit that bill or maker with DAI. And, you know, the thought about USDT was as thick then as it is now. And maker had just been through, you know, an existential crisis uh, during uh, the COVID bust. Uh, and so that didn't really exist. Uh, and so we set out to think about what we could uh, build as a euro denominated, uh, you know, positive yield bearing instrument. And we did a lot of work around um, whether we could build a euro denominated DAI equivalent, uh, so a multi collateralized stablecoin. And um, the, the, the TLDR of that was that that was going to be a very big challenge, uh, both technologically, because Maker is actually quite a complex protocol, uh, but also from a, a legal and, and legislative uh, perspective. Uh, but we discovered that what we could do is we could basically tokenize a private debt fund quite easily. And given uh, my background as a banker and some of the other founders uh, as well, that is something that you know we were ultimately very familiar with, uh, and that we thought we could do you know on a reasonably shoestring budget, and uh, we thought you know that would really work because what it does if you do that and you do private credit is you basically get exposure to a part of the credit spectrum which gives positive yields through the cycle, which at the time remember you know government yields were all negative, and so. Uh, you know, what is currently on vogue in the whole RWA space, i.e. tokenized treasuries or tokenized government bonds, back then was a loss-making proposition. So it didn't work. And, you know, I would uh, think or say that, you know, it's anybody's guess whether, you know, rates go back down to zero and whether those products or services uh, will be, you know, as interesting uh, to the crypto ecosystem as they are today. Whereas uh, what we've done, uh, where you basically take an area of the credit spectrum that provides, you know, positive yields throughout the cycle and that is not impacted as much by, you know, whatever the Fed or the ECB is doing, uh, then you can kind of bring, you know, uh, real yield on chain. Um, you can do that in whatever currency or denomination you desire. You know, we just chose to start in Europe because that's our backyard. 
And, you know, we thought that that would have value. Um, you know, when we started building, there was a lot of yield products, um, you know, Terra Luna, there was Celsius, there was BlockFi, there was a whole bunch of people. And they were providing yields, which were, you know, mostly in excess of what you can credibly get in the real world uh, by taking credit risk. And so it wasn't at all crystal clear at the time that our product would, you know, have mass market appeal. Uh, we knew it had appeal to us because, you know, we didn't want to put our money into BlockFi or Celsius or <laughs> Terra Luna. But, you know, there was a lot of other people that obviously did. And, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, that wasn't a very smart idea. But certainly when we started building, I'd have to be honest, I say we didn't know what that future would look like. You know, fast forward two years now where we are today, you know, RWA is our flavor of the month. Uh, there's a whole bunch of different type of proposals or projects uh, out there ours is but one i personally uh, like uh, the the projects that try to solve real world problems so you know things like goldfinch uh, for the emerging markets or blue jay in asia or what we are doing in europe you know those are trying to address real world funding needs uh, they get you know proper yield you do take real credit risk so you know that's the flip side of that same coin uh, but at least you know what you're getting into because a lot of these protocols try to at least uh, be quite transparent about what you're buying. Um, the other flip side of that, that same coin is that, you know, obviously private credit is not liquid uh, like the treasury market is. So, you know, there is a li liquidity thing that you need to work around if you're going to invest in this uh, type of thing. So it's by no means a stable coin. Uh, it is a, you know, proper participation in a private debt uh, fund just in tokenized form. And because it's tokenized, it's freely, freely tradable and composable uh, in the kind of secondary DeFi market. And that's the, the true innovation here. So if you had to summarize, and that's a hell of a mute, that. sir. Shouldn't be. I should not be on mute. Can you, can you not hear me? I can hear you fine, but you can't hear me. Is that right? Yeah. You not hear me? I'm definitely coming through. I think the problem's on your side. So weird that you can't hear me. Can you hear me now? What the hell? Can you not hear me? Are you sure? Testing, can you not hear me? So weird. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to hear me. End the recording. Just say something. Uh, now, can you hear me? This is it. Now I can what? hear you and you can hear me. I, I have no I idea. I could hear you the whole time, so... Okay, but I couldn't hear you, and then I switched off my earphones and back on, and then I could hear you, but um, it sounded like you couldn't hear me. And so, no, no. Anyway, we got it sorted. Okay. All right, Let's, cool. We'll, we'll cut that piece good. out. <laughs> it's fine. We can do that. Um, right. So that's, I mean, that's definitely a hell of an introduction um, in terms of what it is that, firstly, you guys are doing. So if, if I could ask you in very simple terms, in one paragraph, what is it that Florence Finance is doing? What does it say on the tin? As you Florence so eloquently primarily, put it. Yeah, Florence is primarily built for people on chain mm -hmm. that want to park their money in a kind of safe haven type asset, euro denominated yield bearing. Yeah, so it's it's the crypto equivalent of a savings account. Very boring, very stable. You know, it doesn't go to the moon, but it's supposed to also not lose your money. And by making it as transparent as possible and as simple as possible, what we try to do is we try to pass through the maximum amount of underlying yield that we generate to the people that invest in the protocol. So that that is the sole purpose of this thing. And if we can get enough people to start using this, uh, even if that happens to be in a cyclical way, so you know you only use this thing in the bear market, and then in the bull market, you take your money back out and you start to deploy it into risk assets again, then we will, on the other side, i.e. in the real world, be uh, addressing a real world problem. There is a very neat, a counter cyclicality between the crypto cycle and the banking credit cycle, i.e. when we are in the bear market and everybody's parked up in stables, mm -hmm. then usually money is quite tight in the outside world. And so the fact that there is now this crypto liquidity looking to you know, gain yield in the real world is a great outcome for you know, our partners, our lending partners, who at that point in time are struggling to get funding from other call it more traditional sources and you know when money is not tight and that's usually when the crypto markets are also in a bull market then you know they can get money on every corner of the street and they don't really need the crypto's liquidity so there's this very neat um, kind of counterbalancing thing that we do which helps you know these sme lenders you know to get to funding it's an alternative source of funding for them but the tin, it's primarily made for on-chain, for generating yield and parking up in a safe haven asset. And how do you plan on doing that from a, from a collateralized perspective? What collateral are you guys planning to use in order to afford people that opportunity? So what happens in our protocol is um, at this point in time, because you basically, you have a cold start problem whenever you try to build something like this, your chicken egg problem, right? So you first need to have some loans, some, some tokenized loans before people can actually participate, right? So what we've done in the beginning is we've raised money 
from people who are fully doxxed and whitelisted and KYC'd and AML'd and put that money into the vault. The money gets taken out of the vault by uh, Florence, the, the delegate, and given to our lending partners in order to you know, underwrite their lending activity. Yeah? Yeah. And when that happens, the tokens are created in the vault and the token, and you have a receipt token with the person that funded it. And those receipt tokens are fully fungible and tradable. So that's that's been done. So now this thing is, is kind of primed. Uh, there is a bunch of loans um, in the vaults and the, the corresponding loan vault tokens are in circulation and they can now be bought by everybody in Sundry. Um, and as those loan vault tokens get bought up, and so basically, these are people stepping into the shoes of the people who originally funded the loan. Those people will be getting the money back and we can be able to recycle that and build the loan book slowly. That is, call it the, the slow way of building the loan book. The faster way, which I think in the next phase of growth will become relevant, is to take existing loan books, bring them on chain, tokenize them, so no money changes hands. These, these loans uh, have already been funded, are in existence. All we're doing is bringing them on chain. And by bringing them on chain, you provide access to secondary liquidity and therefore you make them tradable. So that is the next phase of growth, which will be less dependent on actually raising new money. But at that point in time, you'll be able to show people that, look, you know, this thing exists. There's a real marketplace for this stuff. Uh, people are interested in in having this. And so, you know, if you took your private debt fund, which already exists, but which is totally illiquid, right, and you bring it on chain, then we can get you into that same liquidity, which we have generated by this small thing, which we've built, call it the hard way. And so that's what you're seeing now with the bigger lending protocols. So rather than raising fresh new capital and, you know, doing the hard yards of making the loans, doing all the credit work, making the loans, what they're doing is partnering with existing you know, SME lenders or other factoring lenders or asset-backed lenders and bringing their existing books on chain. And you know, that is what's going to really drive the growth of that sector. And then you know, it is, what's going to happen is there's going to be a lot of these assets on chain that uh, you know, are more and more liquid and people will have more and more choice as to you know, how to and where to park you know, excess capital uh, whilst garnering a yield. And you know, that to me is going to, you know, in the last cycle, a lot of people would park up in USDC or USDT and forego any yield on that, right? And I think that's gonna end with the advent of these you know, real world asset alternatives where you can take your USDT or your USDC or your Euro stablecoin and basically, you know, generate a yield on top of the fact that you, your underlying exposure remains Euro or dollars. Why, why do it all on chain? Yeah, so this is, this is the, the million dollar question. So the, the premise of that is where we started with that uh, the kind of counterbalancing um, thing that uh, exists between the crypto world and the real world. So in the real world, there are all kinds of things that require you know, credit or liquidity. And you know, uh, if there's no real need for crypto to be involved, then uh, why would you do that, right? But uh, like I said, the credit uh, has a cycle 
in the world, right? So there are times when money is tight and there are times when money is not so tight. So right now with interest rates being high, you know, money is reasonably tight. And, you know, over the last year, while crypto was still in the bear, you know, when interest rates were rising, money was getting tighter and tighter. There was a lot of excess liquidity in crypto, which could alleviate some of that tightness. And so by bringing crypto together with uh, the credit cycle, which is, uh, you can basically, you know, flatten out or even out uh, that cycle and by providing an alternative source of funding to the real world. Um, so that's the, the neatness. You don't need crypto to do this. You know, effectively what we're doing is we're tokenizing private debt funds. Private debt funds exist with or without crypto. Uh, yeah. But there is added value because of that counter-cyclicality. Do you believe that in light of, you know, the comparative between, you know, it's it's quite amusing how we 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 term the real world versus the crypto world like like they are two separate things, but we know that they're not. But for the sake of conversation, we refer to them as that. But do you believe that even though there is that separation, there isn't really a separation, and it's just a matter of time before it does just become an exercise of how do we access liquidity in the easiest form that we can? And, and I think you are 100% correct in saying that there's a lot of liquidity that was essentially sitting idle that could have been put to good use. But because people were fearful, or whatever the reasons were, um, you know, we can kind of speculate around that. It wasn't. Do you believe that that, that might be a potential market fit for Florence Finance in that we are providing potentially this the safe haven, even when things aren't great, whether it's a credit crunch, whether it's a bear, and that might translate into m more fluidity around how capital moves in and out of not only the blockchain and the real world, but primarily into Florence finance. Yeah, so this is a much bigger uh, theme, and I actually wrote a, a piece uh, that you can find on the Florence finance uh, website as a blog post. Uh, it's called The Bloodletting. And um, so I believe that the, cre the credit cycle uh, is not uh, because of the moon phase or because of whatever. It's not some natural <laughs> phenomenon, right? It, it, it is a consequence of the fact that TradFi is hugely over-levered. Yeah. And that leverage ebbs and flows with you know, interest rate cycles. Uh, but if that over-leverage was not as much, then the cycle would be less pronounced. And so there is a, an optimum of leverage. Some leverage is good, too much leverage is bad, that uh, leaves a cycle that is manageable. And what I would argue is that we are at the point where the cycle is becoming more and more unmanageable for normal, small and medium-sized businesses and people. And so what needs to happen is the the TradFi system as a whole needs to deleverage. And what happens in our protocol, our protocol does not use leverage. It has a loan to deposit ratio of one, right? Which is not the most efficient way of generating yield, but you know, it's also, you know, it, there's no cyclicality induced by leverage. And so what I think happens over time is on the crypto side of things, uh, we do introduce some, you know, moderate forms of leverage. 
And on the TradFi system uh, side of things, things have to deleverage. And that means de facto money has to move from TradFi over to crypto and the two kind of level out. That's a process. So I'm not a, uh, a call it, uh, I don't believe in some kind of cataclysmic uh, end to the TradFi system. It's not going to implode. Uh, it's not going to explode, none of that. But what's going to happen is people are going to move money to where it is safer, uh, where it is more within their control and where it is not rehypothecated and over leveraged as they start to understand the problems that you know are abundant i think in the the tradfi system i mean it 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 amazes me you know having looked at what just happened in the the us with all these small regional banks and the government basically stepping in and guaranteeing retail deposits when everybody knows that you know the federal deposit insurance guarantee is is is, is impossible to uphold and people still have money in these banks right i mean i for one a long time ago took the decision that you know i don't i don't want to have my funds uh, you know not more than you know what i need to pay everyday bills stuck in some kind of overlevered you know fixed income hedge fund called a bank right why would i want to do that why would i want to sponsor that endeavor uh, but you know people don't get it yet so that i think that realization will rise as it rises uh, you know there'll be more and more people coming into crypto and and that won't mean the end of banking it'll just mean that they have to um you know adopt to that new reality where people aren't willing to you know put deposits or their savings into some you know overlevered uh fixed income hedge fund i like the fact that you refer to banks as as fixed income hedge funds <laughs> it's it's what they are right i mean they they run a 20 times levered fixed income book uh, I, think you know, lot, I think it's it's a lot higher than twenty for some of them. I mean, I think that's the reality. Uh, so I, yeah. it, right now, it's 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 between ten and twenty. Right, it used okay. to be more than twenty uh, prior to the previous financial crisis, where yes. banks could really be run with call it you know core tier one equity of you know between three and five percent. Uh, but those days are over. Right, most banks now run you know, core tier one ratios of you know between eight and twelve percent. And so, you know, that's kind of 10, 11 times lever leverage. Uh, and then, sure, there's some chicanery and not all of that quarter one is actual equity. But it, it's it's come down a lot. So, you know, but I, I still don't think we're there. I still think there's too much leverage in the system. Mm. So do you think that that in terms of where we are now, in terms of like the, the crypto space and, and real world assets and, and, and obviously you know, speaking specifically to to what it is that you guys are doing, do you believe that the holistic market fit and the idea around bringing real world assets into the blockchain environment is something that will reach a critical point of kind of like no return where it actually becomes like almost like the way to do things? Or do you think it's going to land up being almost like an experimental thing for, you know, quite an extended period of time. I think the question's more around, will the incumbents buy into the, this idea and join the party, or do you think there'll always be a kind of like a resistance around it? So I have uh, the view, and this is from experience, right? That uh, a lot of what we do in crypto today uh, and what we've done over the last cycle is still quite experimental mm -hmm. um, because 
a lot of what we do on chain is by definition uh, quite inefficient and quite expensive right especially if you built on eth and most of defi was built on eth you know with gas prices being what they are you know none of this really works from a kind of you know a hundred or thousand dollar deposit in a savings type product right i mean you need to be some kind of eth whale before that starts to make any type of sense and so you know you, we really are building these things for a future where you know these layer twos or whatever comes after that uh you know are can can deal with transactions uh, at speeds and at costs that equate to what we can currently do in the tradfi system and we are not there today so we've moved our protocol to arbitrum uh, that is a huge step in the right direction. So now instead of, you know, tens of dollars to do a transaction, it costs, you know, between five and, and 20 cents to do a transaction. You know, it's that's that's manageable. It's still too much, right? It's still more than, you know, a SAPA or an ideal payment uh, for most European, you know, banked uh, people. But at least you can start to see the light at the end of that tunnel. Then the other thing is that, um, you know, a lot of the RWA space today and a lot of what's being hyped is around tokenized treasuries, right? Uh, that is a super simple product to build. Uh, it made no sense to build it two years ago when yields were negative on treasuries. And now when yields are at their highs and, you know, all time highs for the last decade, uh, they're very appealing. But the question is, how long do they stay there? Right. And how appealing are those products if we go back to more reasonable levels? Um, but none of that matters in crypto because it is so fast paced. It is so narrative driven that, again, we have used this opportunity of high yielding treasuries to build out all these RWA protocols, tested them at scale with a whole bunch of people. And, you know, whatever that yielding product of the future is, we now know how to bring it on chain. And, you know, we've uh, experimented with it at scale. And that to me is the value of what is being built. Are these products ready for mass market? Not yet, I would argue. Uh, but is the experimentation valuable nonetheless? 100%, I would argue. Now bring that back to Florence. Um, you know, I look at uh, the world where, you know, there is still, I think even in the Netherlands, there's 400 billion of retail deposits sitting at idle at banks. These, these people are basically captive. They have no other place to put their money. Money market funds are less of a thing in Europe because you obviously have segregated uh, government uh, bond markets. There's no European bond market where you can just park up your money and not everybody in Europe, you know, has a... Um, a brokerage account uh, because it's a lot more expensive than it is uh, in the US uh, and we don't have Robinhood and those kinds of app type uh, services. And so there really is this, this captive thing going on and the banks are taking, you know, enormous, uh, you know, advantage of that. Uh, and we need to build a better alternative. That to me is what crypto is all about, right? This is, it's not about changing the system that is, it's about building better alternatives that's going to take time. And I think, you know, before Florence can credibly be a, a, a real alternative for the masses to put their savings, you know, we have a lot of, you know, water that needs to pass under the bridge. We, we have an awful lot of growth to do. It needs to become a lot more stable, a lot more diversified. And, but if we can pull that off, then, you know, I think it has um, 
you know, mass market appeal. And there is, you know, it's something that the world should have in Europe and that it doesn't currently have. And if we can build it on crypto rails and those crypto rails become cheap enough and easy enough to uh, interact with, then, you know, I think this could be a really good thing. But are we there today? No, I don't think so. I think that's going to take a lot of doing. And that's what we're doing, right? We're building this stuff. We're experimenting with it. Uh, there is uh, the great thing about the crypto universe is that it's almost self-funding, right? So uh, the people in it, um, you know, uh, decide where they want to spend their time, where they want to spend their money, which projects are worthy of their attention and of further funding. And so it is a very organic way of finding the efficient frontier of what needs to be built by us, for us. Yeah, I I agree. I I, I think the the and and you and you stated it quite quite nicely in terms of like and and it's great to see that you have awareness that ultimately, you know, a lot of this is an experiment. It's, it doesn't mean that it's not a bad thing that it's an experiment because we're not going to grow you know, as, as a species, if we don't experiment and try different things. And I think a lot of us are under the the belief and we're striving for something that's a lot more efficient and a lot better. And I think there are still a lot of things that we need to do and, and kind of reflect on before we get to that point. But I think the real world asset, you know, like just stepping back and, and kind of like looking at it from a holistic perspective and and and, and there's a question here. And the question is that, and it's kind of leading on to the efficiency of capital is very much dependent on how, how it flows, you know, like from point A to point B and, and how you can access it, but more importantly, how do you actually put it to use? And I think like what blockchain would would theoretically do is actually like expedite the whole process. I mean, we, we see it with lending and borrowing. It's kind of like I don't need to go to a bank manager and fill out a form there's a contract in place that allows me to actually initiate said process by providing collateral and then borrowing off the yeah. back of that collateral. And if I don't pay my loan off, then there are Lose consequences. Yeah. So I wanted to just ask you, is that, is that what it is that you guys are building and just kind of looking at it from no. a holistic no, perspective? So it's a different thing, right? So yeah. take the, you know, what happened in crypto, right? So we, we were running this experiment and uh, the experiment, uh, it turned out, uh, was most efficiently run at scale uh, through, you know, call it, you know, all kinds of, you know, gambling and casino type activity, right? And so that led to the creation of all kinds of, you know, financial Legos, I call them, so building blocks of the future, which were tried and tested in this enormous, you know, um, you know, token casino that uh, we created, uh, which is fantastic, right? And uh, so there was games to be played, uh, money to be uh, won and lost. Uh, but the what was happening in the meantime is we were testing all these, you know, financial building blocks of the future at scale, at size, at volume, at in real time, right? So the what comes out of that is, you know, automatic market makers, uh, balanced pools, uh, all kinds of, you know, protocols, new blockchains optimized for X, Y, Z. And all of that is a continuously, you know, evolving landscape. And so we're now at the phase where we've got all of these, you know, building blocks and we now need to plug them into the real world. Obviously, as long as you're doing everything on chain, then 
that's uh, super efficient and it, it's super cool, but there are limitations to what you can and cannot do there. So what you're discussing is basically fully collateralized lending. So, you know, if I have $100 worth of Bitcoin, Bitcoin has a certain volatility, I could probably lend, you know, 60% loan to value on that Bitcoin. And if the value of Bitcoin drops to below 60% of, you know, then it gets liquidated and, you know, I, I basically paid off my loan. That, that works, but you obviously need the collateral. That's not how the real economy works, right? If a lender uh, or a, a borrower comes to a lender and says, look, I need to borrow, you know, $100,000, then they typically don't provide $100,000 of collateral. They may give you a first lien over their whatever mortgage or uh, their inventory or all that kind of stuff, but it's not typically fully collateralized. The actual obligation of the borrower to pay back the loan plus interest is the collateral. And so when we say fully collateralized lending, what we mean is that of all the loans that we have outstanding, that they are all in good order and that they have paid the last interest term and there is no inkling that they are in any kind of default. Once they do go into a default, obviously that changes and we have to take them out of uh, what is the collateralized pool and we have all process for all of that. So we won't get into that, but, but that is how we think about collateral. Collateral is that we have no indication that the people that lent money from us uh, will not pay that back plus interest. And the moment we do have such an inkling, then obviously we need to do something like that. And you know, then we basically charge that uh, to the pool as a credit loss. Um, so it's a very different thing. And it is the bridge that we need to cross if you want to you know, connect what is what we built in DeFi to the real world. And there's kind of no two ways about that. Um, yeah, so it, it's a different thing. Um, and okay. they will they will both coexist, right? I mean, uh, there will be a, a world where you know people can borrow cheaply against collateral, good collateral that they have, uh, which is already you know available in uh, in DeFi, you know uh, protocols like Aave or Compound or what have you. Uh, you can do that all day long, right? And twice on Sunday. Uh, but this is a different thing. This is a very different thing. Um. I can't wait to see how this practically plays out, not only with, you know, obviously the way that Florence Finance is approaching it, but just in general around real world assets. Um, tell us, please, about what you guys are doing presently and what your roadmap looks like and, you know, what what's ahead for, for what it is that you guys have done. You've told us, you know, where you've come from and, and, and the road that you've traveled. What does mm. the road look like ahead? Right. So... Yeah, just to kind of put it all in context. So we started building this thing on ETH. That's where you build. We ran into the gas fee problem. Uh, we waited to, for the layer two landscape dust to settle a little bit. Uh, that kind of clarified that the right place for us to go next was probably Arbitrum. We spent the last six months uh, migrating uh, to Arbitrum. That migration is now uh, complete. You know, 95% of the loans outstanding is now running on Arbitrum vaults, which enables people to now participate, you know, at a reasonable cost, uh, if you will. Uh, and now we need to scale. So uh, we are currently running a program where early adopters through the minting of an NFT can earn all kinds of points by participating in the vaults, testing the, the protocol, you know, getting other people involved. 
and if that goes well, then hopefully we will be able to do a listing uh, also on Arbitrum at some point in the very near uh, future. With that listing, we will have a uh, liquid token which we will then be able to use to drive adoption through staking rewards. Um, so that'll be the next wave of kind of adoptive growth. And the whole goal here is to get to a level of TVL where the protocol can sustain itself from a very small portion of the net interest margin that we that the underlying loan portfolio generates. So if the underlying loan portfolio generates you know, between 7 and 10% uh, interest, we think that we should be able to make that a sustainable business if we keep, you know, 10 to 15% of that interest generated uh, at a, you know, TVL of anywhere between 30 or 40 million dollars. Uh, so it's it's not that far away. And once we get there, then we will have proven to the world that, you know, A, there's enough people that care about what we're doing. B, there's enough people that are willing and able to fund uh, what we're doing and are happy with the return generated in that manner. And then we can basically, you know, just build it organically uh, to whatever it will be. And in my mind, what we do is a regional thing, i.e. it is different in Germany than it is in France, than it is in the UK. All these credit markets, especially for SMEs, are actually quite different. So it is definitely feasible for us to, you know, do a bunch of markets, but each market will have its own, uh, call it idiosyncrasies. And, you know, you will need to conquer that market, uh, both on the client, on the funding side, as on the, call it credit partner uh, side, uh, one by one. So for us, we'd love to do a few more European markets. I would really like to take on uh, a more eclectic uh, credit-starved market, uh, call it in Eastern Europe or uh, let's say Turkey, where you know credit is obviously tight, and you know there's a lot of need. And if you can do something with hard real-world assets as collateral, so for instance equipment leasing or things like that in that type of environment, then again you're you're solving a real problem with you know crypto liquidity. And that to me is always the, the the great thing, right? Where you can actually be doing some real world good with you know money that is uh, you know looking to get a, a decent yield. And if you do that in a safe and responsible manner, uh, you're hitting two birds with one stone. And that's sort of always what we're trying to do, right? We started with SMEs. That's something that's near me, dear to my heart. You know, I like what Goldfinch is doing in the emerging markets just as much. You know, that's that's a sim, but it's just you know you can't do everything all at once. So we started in the neck of the woods that we know best, which is the Netherlands. Uh, but you know, the plan is to to grow geographically. So I mean, I was going to ask you what the long term vision is, and I think you've partly you've partly answered that question. But I mean, what is the the kind of like the long long term vision around this thing? Is it to get a billion dollars in TVL and to be able to access all these kind of markets and find where that value lies? I mean, what is what does it look like for you? Today, if this this is successful, what we end up doing is democratizing credit creation. So, right now, 80 to 90 percent of all credit is distributed through the banks. So, people have to go to the bank and beg for money, right? Mm -hmm. The banks are more and more kind of pulling back from the lower echelons of lending. They like to do bigger and bigger loans because they have more and more 
regulatory and other costs which they need to you know service and so it only makes sense for them to do the bigger stuff so the the, the threshold of participation in the bank based credit economy is going up and up and up and up and so there's more and more people that are falling below that threshold those people are being served by you know fintechs so startups that are basically specialized and are much more efficient at sourcing and managing that type of credit than the banks ever were or ever will be, right? Mm -hmm. Those people need money. And if we can get them money, then slowly but surely, they will be able to outcompete the banks. And basically that bar, which is now the bar for exclusion, becomes the bar for inclusion in the more efficient, uh, decentralized and democratized credit economy run by a multitude of fintechs, each with their own specialty, with their own customer base, with their own ideas about you know, how you should uh, do that. And that to me is a much better world than a world that is dominated by too big to fail and ever growing uh, banks uh, that are you know, basically excluding more and more people. So to me, that, that is what defines success. We are but a small contributor to that. It is a whole ecosystem and facilitating that ecosystem to basically take market share from the banks is the longer term goal. If you could um, come up with an idea for a real world asset play in the crypto space, besides what it is that you're doing right now, what would that look like as kind of like a, as a secondary project, if you could do one and there was like, there were two of you. I, to me, the, the, you know, we have now focused on SMEs in the Netherlands, but the SME yeah. funding gap globally, uh, I, I've written another blog post about this on the basis of a World Bank uh, report. It is actually staggering the amount of, amount of people, the amount of credit that is not being uh, serviced, that has no access to credit, yes. even in the developed markets. I mean, people think this is a, you know, an emerging markets problem, yeah. but, it, but yeah. it's not. It is not. And then if you combine that with how important SMEs are in terms of jobs and in terms of GDP, yeah, uh, in most developed economies, SMEs are 60% of the jobs and you know, close to 50% of uh, you know, non-governmental GDP. And so this is a massively important societal, societally important sector that is being starved of credit. And that is that is a crime, right? And it needs to be solved. So I, I literally do not believe there is a bigger problem that needs to be addressed urgently on this earth. So I, I am 100% committed to this. There's no second best in that regard. Yes. It's just, it's a global thing. So, you know, whether you're, you're addressing that problem in the emerging markets or you're doing it in Asia or you're doing it, you know, in South America, but, but it is one of the biggest things that we need to address. And the current system uh, has very little uh, to uh, incentive to reverse the call it direction of travel of you know ever growing too big to fail financial institutions. It's sort of, sort of there's no way back, if you will. So we have to do that uh, separately, and this is why you know I hope that you know all the the effort and time and and hype that has been created by all the stuff that is uh, surrounding the tokenized treasuries 
slowly finds its way back into you know that which is real and which makes a real difference which is more the neck of the woods or the the end of the spe credit spectrum where i am uh, more focused uh, which is instead of you know funding governments we need to fund the real economy and real people yeah i, I love that answer and it's you know like i'm i live in a part of the world where where innovation around smes is key to the survival of individuals that are living from from hand, hand to mouth literally you know you got people living in the ghetto and and those 100%. people yeah and those people really do need that kind of thing and they've got great ideas you know you've got people who who want to own businesses and just don't have access to that funding and 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 it's it's just interesting that that you do have that perspective and and I totally agree with you and it's great to to share that passion that you have it's very it's tangible it's obvious that you you're very passionate <laughs> about it and yeah. and it's, it's it's important because i think what what happens is that we it's very easy for us to get caught up in what it is that we're doing for ourselves and we don't really i mean obviously it's important we got to take care of our own and our bills and the rest of it but it's important to 100%. be able to do that in the context of you know how is it benefiting other people um around that and and i think for me it's what's really critical in this thing and and what i'm always curious about is do we in the crypto space ever reach a point where it actually changes from okay so people are talking about how institutions are interested in in in, in crypto and blockchain and the rest of it do you think that's an interest around trying to access this this kind of dormant capital that that's moving in and out of crypto or do you think that there is like I mean, obviously, you believe what it is that you're doing. It's obvious. But do you believe that institutions look at it the same way that you're looking at it at the moment? Or do you think they just see like an opportunity to make money out of retail or other individuals? I, I think it's both, right? So I think we have to give ourselves some credit in the, in the crypto uh, arena uh, that uh, a lot of the people that have made money, you know, within the crypto realm are also the angels that are funding activities like mine. Right. Uh, and so there's a whole bunch of people that funded uh, this project and I didn't tell them any other story that I'm telling you. Right. Yes. So they, they they know that, you know, if they want a, a pure number go up uh, meme thing, then this is not it. Right. <laughs> this, this is a different endeavor. And, you know, we did get funded uh, and I think we will continue to get funded. But it's it is a different story that we're trying to tell. I think as crypto matures, as uh, you know, the 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 meme stock uh, culture kind of you know flattens out a little bit. Um, you know, people are going to become more and more serious about you know building stuff that matters. That said, you know, going back to the conversation we were having earlier, it's still very hard to build stuff that actually matters and works because you know from a technological perspective we are still some way removed from this being ready for mainstream both in terms of call it volume but also in terms of interoperability with you know banking rails etc cetera, etc cetera, right today to do stuff on chain is still you know beyond the realm of most you know most people that have exposure to crypto have it in some centralized exchange account and they you know they swipe left and they swipe right and numbers go off and confetti on the screen but they they've never signed a transaction on chain right i mean that is a very small minority that's actually doing that and you know mind you it's not without risk either right i mean uh, it's dangerous out there on chain 
So, you know, it, I think it still requires a little bit of time before we can actually get this ready for mainstream. But, you know, all the time we are building this stuff out, building the relationships, you know, in a business like ours, you know, you do have to build these relationships with these real world lending partners, get them comfortable with the fact that they're taking on crypto money. You know, the conversation today is already so much different than it was two years ago. Yeah. I, I won't even begin to explain to you how hard it was for us. So, to how, get. so how different is it? Please share with us the so, conversations so, so, that so you had. My, my, my first conversation with uh, our first lending part, partner, Swish Fund, which is a very renowned kind of, you know, small lending uh, operator in the, in the Netherlands. They make TV commercials. They lend to mom and pop stores, you know, very short duration, a couple of thousands, maybe up to $20,000, $30,000 a pop. And they have a very large, very diverse uh, kind of book of credit, and they've been managing that exceptionally well, even through the COVID crisis, no real credit losses, et cetera, et cetera. So we, uh, through uh, our partners and fellow founders, you know, know the, the people and the founders of that business quite well. And so we sat them down and we explained to them what we were going to do. And, you know, they're obviously always in search of funding. So the, the, the first reaction is, well, you know, Gil, if you can get the money, we're going to keep talking to you, right? But to be honest, we're not that sure that anybody really wants to take money out of this crypto thing because it all feels a bit, you know, dodgy and this, that, and the other. And so we said, that's fine. You know, we'll 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 do, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. We will build this thing. We'll raise a bunch of money. Uh, we will underwrite this first loan. And then why don't you go talk to a bunch of your uh, the people that you lend to? And explain to them that you know this is where the money comes from, and and how do you feel about that? And the feedback was incredible. So they so at the the the, the lender level, um, they were quite worried about the perception. But at the actual SME level, everybody's a lot more comfortable with crypto than the actual lenders. You know, and even worse, you know, we obviously also talked to a bunch of banks. They wouldn't touch what we're doing with a ten foot pole, right? They think it's absolute heresy. So. You know, this is going to have to change with time. And what it's going to take is good operators, i.e. people that are not fumbling the ball, that are that have good intentions, that are not stealing from either customers or clients, uh, to show that, you know, you can make a difference. And there is liquidity in crypto that wants to aid, you know, funding the real economy. I mean, that's a, that's a good story. If you can just show that unequivocally and you can make it transparent in a way that regulators and whoever else wants to have an opinion can take a look at it and say, well, you know, whatever's happening here, they're not doing the world any harm. And, you know, the money is coming from people who are trying to do good in the world. Then, you know, I literally don't see how anybody could, you know, frown upon what we're doing, but it is going to take a long time before people get there. And, you know, every time we have a Celsius or a Blockfire or an FTX, it's kind of two steps back, right? And so we need to have less of those and more of these. But surely now the, the interest that, that BlackRock and, and all these asset management companies are showing in the space is obviously contributing to the acceleration of exactly, you know, the case that you stated. It's like it's just, I think it's it's made it a lot easier. I think it also comes with its own challenges, you know, and the traps that come with, you know, bigger players coming into the market and, and how they, you know, they play a different game, you know, and, and then it's, totally. it's going to change. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the real question is whether we will be able to retain a lot of the, call it, uh, libertarian 
premises that you know a lot of the crypto world was was kind of the way we set out right so self-custody yeah. not mm. your keys not your coins mm. uh ultimate control ultimate privacy you know what you're seeing uh with the stable coins already and also with a lot of the more permissioned DeFi uh, platforms so the bigger institutional platforms they're all being permissioned fully kyc kml'd you know you basically you have to comply and so where that balance ends you know whether we end up all being completely captured with you know the system that is or whether we can actually move the needle a little bit using this new tech right to make it a little bit more free and a little bit more self-custodial and a little bit less you know ever over levered and rehypothecated that is going to be the true test nobody knows that today right i mean we're all just trying our little bit and you know trying to stay clear of uh the law uh and you know today we still have some call it license to operate and experiment uh but you know there's plenty of people out there saying things that would you know make that very hard in the us arguably it's already extremely difficult uh, so it is my hope that they retain that uh, call it uh, yeah sandbox i like to call it where people can experiment you know as long as it's not too big and we're not doing anybody any harm then let people try stuff out right uh, like yeah. we're doing and then once we get to you know 100 million or a couple of 100 million of tvl then you know that would be a good point at which you you want to be kind of upping the ante a little bit about you know how and what we should comply with but until that to kind of slap on all this compliance crap it just kind of stops you from getting out of the gate right so it's much better to do that at a later date i think in europe they're striking that balance sort of uh in the us it's 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 not clear uh but i think in general a lot of uh builders in crypto take the view that you know uh we don't ask questions we just build and then you know if somebody wants to slap us on the wrist we'll we'll deal with that then and there uh, and i think that's the right thing and we need much much more of that you know i love the conversation that's going on in uh in, on twitter with all these uh was it um the the guys the accelerationists so the <laughs> the, the the musks and the beth jesus is that just basically say, you know, we need more people to experiment and build uh, because, you know, if we're going to wait uh, to change the system by casting a vote, either blue or red, I don't think we're going to make it. Yeah, I think the, the I totally agree with you. I think the the very essence of what this space is about is the the ability to maneuver and to experiment. And it doesn't have to be illegal. It doesn't have to be illicit. It no. can be. You know, it can be a creative process, and we need that process to to play out. And it's going to be really interesting to see how the, how the space evolves over the next. I think I think we've got the next two to five years will set a precedent to where we where we will arrive. That's my opinion on it. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting. And RWAs, just to kind of circle back to that point, right? Uh, for RWAs to really work on chain. We need an order of magnitude increase in, uh, call it, uh, capacity of, of you know blockchain transaction speeds and uh, decrease in cost. So if those two things happen, then tokenizing uh, what are currently securities, whether they be debt or equity or others, starts to make actual economic sense. 
because it's just better to run them on a decentralized blockchain than on, on some kind of decentralized database. But you know, before we get to that, there's still that's going to be this cycle. And then once that happens, um, you know, we will have tested enough and played enough with it so that we can actually do it. Whereas if you were to try to do that at a cold start at that point in the future, you, you couldn't do it. So it's, it, you know, it just takes time. You know, Rome wasn't built in a day. This will happen over time. Uh, the next cycle will be very interesting, but we're still at the stage where we're trying stuff out in an environment that is not yet at the efficient frontier where it needs to be in order for it really to work at scale. Thoughts on Solana? Yeah, so, you know, again, to me, this is very interesting, you know, as a practitioner, you know, uh, having come into the thing when, you know, if you wanted to build, you built on ETH and all of this other stuff were still kind of, you know, esoteric, you know, brain farts by people who are way more technical than, than I am. And what you're seeing today is that a bunch of these things have actually come to fruition. So you've got some, you know, pretty capable layer twos on ETH. You've got some alternatives to uh, the ETH layer one, whether that be, you know, Cosmos or Near or, you know, and in this case, uh, you've got Solana, which is a, a slightly different uh, philosophy, uh, but, you know, just very interesting, trying to solve the same problem, the, the blockchain trilemma in a different way. And what we need is more people tinkering away at that very same problem, right? And, um, I think there will be multiple solutions um, because the, the, the trilemma by definition means you're optimizing one over the other two or two over the, the odd one out. And so that optimization um, happens with a goal in mind. And so if you have different use cases, you have different optimal states of the solving of the blockchain trilemma. And so thus, by definition, I think what you end up with is different, you know, ecosystems that solve for different types of problems. And so, you know, it, to me, it's not about the, the modular versus monolithic uh, or, you know, all kinds of those design things. It's about once we get these things, which I think they're not yet, right? But once we get them to a place where they can actually compete with a centralized database uh, on cost and transaction throughput, then uh, we need to kind of optimize them for certain use cases. And I think that's what you're starting to see now, right? With Fire Dancer by Jump Trading, you know, optimized for kind of, you know, order books, uh, you know, and uh, Serum was a kind of early uh, precursor to that on Solana in a weird way, right? So Solana, I think, you know, will, we'll probably get a lot of that, call it trading stuff and, and use cases that require enormous amounts of speed and, and incredibly low cost. Um, you know, there will be other use cases that fit better with, you know, the Ethereum philosophy, uh, which is mobile, possibly a little bit more skewed towards uh, security and having different layers so that, you know, uh, there are different, uh, call it, um, if one layer fails and the whole thing doesn't go down, which obviously in Solana, you know, if it goes down, it goes down. Um, so, you know, to me, this is all still, you know, uh, to be discovered. Uh, and the great thing is that, you know, all these teams are, you know, getting more and more very bright, very young, very motivated people involved in their cause. And we're making huge progress, right? I mean, even over the period that I've been actively building, 
the last two, two and a half years, I mean, the progress has been immense, right? It's not that long ago that, you know, Ethereum was still uh, proof of work. And people forget, yeah. people forget. And, you know, uh, I remember, you know, when we built the first version of our protocol and we were, you know, putting these loans into these vaults and it would cost me more money to put the loan into the vault <laughs> in terms of gas fees than, than I could possibly, you know. Uh, but, you know, all of that now, you know, on Arbitrum, now it's starting to work. And I would argue yeah. we're still one order of magnitude away from where it's symbiotic. And then the next really big issue is, you know, making it so that normal people can, you know, interact with these things, protocols, apps, whatever you want to call them, in a way that doesn't expose them to the amount of risk that you are exposing yourself by, you know, being on chain today. I mean, the amount of... Yeah, scamming and, and stuff that happens so that you need to be so, so careful of uh, when you're dealing with self-custodial assets is is of a scale that, you know, you know, it's good that not everybody talks about this and not everybody knows about it. But, you know, we need to do something about that before we can open it up to the masses. Yeah, I think I think it's part of the process. You know, I think it's it is happening. I mean, we we obviously get to see. A lot of the, the interesting innovation, I mean, we're speaking to a protocol at the moment that's developed essentially a wallet that allows for self-custody through your CPU and it can't be accessed by anybody else. It's very, it's hardware specific. It's essentially safer than a hardware wallet. And and that's that's what's happening now. I mean, this is technology that's been essentially developed over the last two months. Um, so... We will get there. There's no doubt that we will, that, that whether we will or we won't, we will. Yes. Um, and, and I think that the, essentially all it is is what a time to be alive. You know, it's like really, totally. It really, it really is like <laughs> awesome from that perspective. And I think that a lot of these, these problems are going to get solved or are being solved. And those, those are going to be, you know, those are going to be the people that are going to take this space forward. And and as far as I'm concerned, it's not whether it's going to happen, it's just when. And, you know, it's great that we obviously get to to sit at the fireside um, and see this thing unfold, you know, and, 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 it's, and, it, and it is. And you guys and us and everyone involved is contributing to this, this whole kind of melting pot. Um, so... Thank you for your time, sir. Where do we find you guys? What, where are you out there? Give us a little bit of detail. I will post this obviously below the interview on YouTube. So if anyone is listening right. on a podcast, it will be in the description on YouTube so you can check it out. Um, yeah, where, where are you guys? Where do you hang out mostly and where can people find you? All right. So we, we obviously have a website, www.florence.finance. Uh, we have uh, Twitter and Telegram. Uh, Twitter is at Finance Florence, so the other way around. Somebody had scooped uh, Florence Finance before we could get it. <laughs> We'd love to have that back if you're listening. Um, and uh, if you're really keen, then you can obviously join our Discord, uh, where there's all kinds of chicanery. Uh, but that's you know for the the degenerate among us. Uh, but that's how you can uh, get in touch with us. Um, Right now, like I said, uh, there's this big kind of onboarding program. We've got uh, very cool NFTs uh, and community incentives uh, going on. Uh, we'd love to get a lot of people on board with that. 
uh, and the more you learn, the more feedback you can give and possibly even participate uh, in the token launch in the next couple of months. Um, you know, it's going to be a wild ride and we're really excited about it. Cool. Um, really good to meet you, sir. And thank you for your Likewise. time. Um, love, love the passion, love the, the perspective. Great to see that you're not a, a maxi. You're open to everything that's out there. I think that's really important and it's super healthy. And I, totally. I, I sincerely wish you guys the best. And yeah, we'll see you guys out there. Um, yeah, we really enjoyed getting that that article out. So we did do an article on 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 Florence. So if you guys are great. interested in reading some more, um, I will link it as well in the description. And please, guys, like, subscribe, send us a bit of love. We do appreciate it. Um, thank you, sir. Have a good one. We'll thank you. you. Bye bye. Take care, guys.